The following resources presented by the Counseling and Conference Services of IOM America. Welcome to Identity Matters Podcast. Hi, my name is Steve Finney and I will be your host. We welcome our podcast listeners. I am so excited about finishing this part of our series on universalism. We have had quite a few messages that have dealt with the topic of universalism. And it kind of reminds me of um, an illustration that my wife and I have used in ministry through the years. And that is working with some people, is, it's, it's like making a pathway through a bowl of jello. When I deal with born-again, indwelt Christians or Christ followers who don't have the Holy Spirit living inside them, there's one point of reference that doesn't make any difference. And that point of reference is, are they teachable? You can actually teach someone going to hell. Have you noticed that? You can teach them to be quality workers at their job. You can teach them in theology. I had a young man, well, not really a young man, but a middle-aged man who got born again in my office who had three master's degrees in languages. And he was a Bible translator. And he came to realize that I don't have the indwelling life in me. See, he was well trained as a student of the Word. So the Word became his Savior. But not the Word person. Simple deception, huh? He was teachable. See, the reason why that he, he stopped and went, wait, 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 wait. Are you saying to me that you actually have to have the life of Christ in you and there's a moment of salvation, of an exchange of old to new? And, you know, all that stuff's pretty common when we talk about getting saved, right? The old man's dead, put to death. The old self is gone. The old self is crucified. There's a very distinct moment of exchange. So we grow up in a society that Satan has created in the church that says this. Think of a bowl of jello, and you're going to take your finger, stick it into the bowl, and you're going to draw a line in the jello to separate the goats from the sheep. Is that in prophecy? <laughs> yeah, it's what the end times is about. Okay? That's what a shepherd does. You're a goat and you are sheep. You follow me. You jump off the cliff. Quit coming in and deceiving my sheep. You know what the crazy thing is at that study of sheep and goats? You can have 2,000 in a herd of sheep and one goat. And this powerful shepherd. Who are the sheep going to follow? 
Thank God. One. One deceptive spirit. They'll follow the goat versus the shepherd. Let's see. Let's try to make that path again. And as you're pulling your finger through that bowl of jello, someone please tell me what's happening. Every time you get a micro inch, you know, difference made, the jello enfolds around it. And by the time you're to the other side of the bowl and you pull your finger out of the bowl, have you made a distinction? Are you kidding? That is why I hear constantly from pastors who are preaching every Sunday morning and they are overwhelmed with this feeling they're not making a single bit of difference. Their people do not listen. They're thinking of their roast at 12. They're thinking of their ball game they got to get to. They're thinking of anything but a transformational message of God separating the goats from the sheep. That's universalism. Those of you who are listening to our podcast, I want to announce something very exciting to you. Next week, we are starting a series called True Grace to You. It's another mini-series, and what we're going to do is theologically break down truly what the Greek and the Hebrew says about grace. How grace applies to you after you get saved. What does the law have to do with with grace? How has grace affected parenting? How has grace affected marriages? How has grace affected the church? How has grace affected society? Grace is a term that is used today equally as the term of social, cultural acceptance. And if you confront someone as someone who literally has a life of grace in you, you're considered judgmental. Yes, it is the same thing the universalists fight. But I'm going to specifically address the gracelistic people. And some of those might be listening. So it is going to be a strategic series that I think you will find rather interesting. Finishing off our topic on abstaining from foods, should I abstain from foods or should I enjoy what's in front of me? Now, that's easier to type out. Then as Zion asked me yesterday, he said, well, if you had a choice not to eat that goat blood pudding, Would you have chosen not to eat it? I think that's what your question was, right? Because I was on the mission field and I was warned ahead of time by our leader that they're going to sacrifice a goat. Sacrifice a goat. That'll pretty much tell you what their religious beliefs were. In this home that we were going to be fed. And they're going to make this stuff called goat pudding. And it will be made out of the goat's blood. And it's kind of pasty. Some people put it on crackers. Some just eat it like pudding. But he said this. You will need to eat it. 
Now, okay, here's a goat that I'm pretty sure got sacrificed to an idol. And the missionary leader is bringing us into this village wanting to do our job. And they did. They prepared this wonderful feast. I didn't even want to know what was on that table. But I saw that goat pudding. Paste, I should say. So did Abby. And Abby's right next to me and she goes, Dad, I can't eat it. I just can't. I said, Honey, put it on your plate and I'll eat it when we go sit down. Okay? <laughs> so she did. And I did. I ate mine and I ate hers. Whatever is put in front of you is easier typed than put in a situation that Paul is addressing of sacrificed animals and, and strange foods that you just, you're not sure what you're putting into your body. Well, we need to talk about it. Romans 14, 1 through 9. Who would like to come and read that for us? Now accept the one who is weak in faith, but not for the purpose of passing judgment on his opinions. One person has faith that he may eat all things, but he who is weak eats only vegetables. The one who eats is not to regard with contempt the one who does not eat. And the one who does not eat is not to judge the one who eats, for God has accepted him. Who are you to judge the servant of another? To his own master he stands or falls, and he will stand, for the Lord is able to make him stand. One person regards one day above another, another regards every day alike. Each person must be fully convinced in his own mind. He who observes the day, observes it for the Lord. And he who eats, does so for the Lord, and he gives thanks to God. And he who eats not, for the Lord he does not, for the Lord he does not eat, and gives thanks to God. For not one of us lives for himself, and not one dies for himself. For if we live, we live for the Lord, or if we die, we die for the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord both of the dead and of the living. And may the Lord richly bless his word. You may be seated. I've only heard a couple people in dialoguing with them since we started this series actually use the term Satanology because it's a very scary word. Anytime you connect anything directly to the name of Satan, it typically can be a bit alarming. I tried to find one swear word uh, in some country somewhere, obviously by making use of the internet. There was not one single swear word anywhere in any country noted, posted, anywhere. It was zero match. No match found. Zero match, which is rare on the internet, of a swear word using Satan's name. But when you talk about Jesus Christ and God, for some reason, most nations supported a swear word connected with either God or Jesus Christ. If you do the same Google research for the words Holy Spirit, there are zero swear words connected to the Holy Spirit. 
That's prophetic to me. There is an unpardonable sin that is warned and given to us. And what is that? Blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. Taking the Holy Spirit's name in vain. Satan himself won't tamper with that one. <laughs> and he already is hell. Satanology has been an ignored theological area of study probably since the beginning of man's time. Well, that's been very fortunate for him because he's been able to hide and tuck away deceptive thinking and beliefs inside this little compartment and no one wants to mess around with it. No one wants to talk about the doctrines of demons for some reason. I also noticed recently that pastors have been asked by their congregation to address the passage of doctrines of demons. What does this mean? Since the largest movement in America is abstaining from foods, it is becoming actually a question in the minds of true indwelt Christians. Should I be doing this? We just read a scripture that says that those who eat vegetables alone are weak people. And I am going to show you even some research that proves that they're just not spiritually weak. They're physically weak. But see, the request of us is not to judge them. And that's why I said to someone back when we were snarfing down a couple uh, Rice Krispie bars that the idea of judging someone who's not under conviction of the same thing that you're under conviction of actually makes it sin. So I can pick up a little Debbie, which is my favorite little uh, snack that has zero substance to it, that's going to probably dissolve into nothingness before it gets to my stomach. If I'm not under conviction to put that little Debbie away or it's going to turn me into a big Debbie <laughs> then I need to eat it we're not judged by God nor will we be on judgment day judged by God for eating donuts he's not going to bring it up he's not going to bring up whether we ate goat meat that was sacrificed to idols He's not going to bring up the fact that you happen to like Snickers candy bars. It's not going to be on your judgment list. <coughs> but yet it's these things that we judge people for. Okay, listeners, how many of you feel guilty when you eat a donut? How many of you make comments about fatty content in your food before you eat it? How many people get grease on their tongue and it bothers them? That's a shame, though, because God loves it. You see, there's actually a verse that says the fat belongs to the Lord. The Lord. He likes the smell of it burning. He likes the taste of it. What makes a good steak taste good? Fat, fat and blood. Is that correct? Yes. Yes. Amen. Okay. Now we'll move on. To quickly go over our verse again. 
This is 1 Timothy 4, verses 1 through 5, and it says, But the Spirit explicitly says that in latter times, are we in the latter times? Yes. Yeah, probably so. In latter times, I don't know why this was not the case in before the times, before the end times. I do know why, actually, as a lot of preachers and teachers actually can answer that question. I know why it's the latter times. If you could just picture in your mind a graft, and this, this graft has got low-level demonic activity on one side, and high-level demonic activity on the right side, what would you say is the reason why that's true? The demonic implications of demonic doctrines, the first generation after Jesus died, was low. The demonic doctrines we see in our society today is very high. You can't even use the term grace in most people's uh, conversations because they don't have no clue what grace is. Okay, so we're, we're faced with something here. Why would it be that on this chart we would be off the charts in the end times when it comes to deceitful spirits? And demonic doctrines. The closer you get to the appearance of the Antichrist, the physical appearance of the Antichrist, he has, if he's smart, which I believe he is, he has to be able to get his doctrines in place before he shows his face, as God did with Jesus before Jesus showed his face. He spent the entire Old Testament setting us up for Jesus Christ's coming. I can quote endlessly out of Isaiah and Ezekiel and Daniel and Genesis and whatever that speaks of Christ's coming. Physically going to show up. And then when he opens his mouth, all the doctrines line up and make sense, correct? Satan is doing the exact same thing. His appearance in the latter times is close. So the doctrines get intensified. So the two we've been dealing with one is on the issue of marriage. You'll have to go back to podcasts 89 and 90 to get those. And now we've been dealing with the abstaining from foods. So let's break that down. First, by looking at this question. Under the category of worship, how are we to experience the material creation in such a way that God is worshipped, honored, loved, Supremely treasured in our experience of material creation. If you dialogue with a vegetarian or a vegan who is a self-proclaimed Christian, they will take you back to the garden. They will talk to you fluently about the pre-flood conditions of the earth and that Adam and Eve were required to eat vegetables only. I would have to connect you to Dr. Piper's full uh, series on this, on creation. But it is provable that that is not correct. And the whole association with why would God slaughter a cow, for example, and clothe Adam and Eve with the hide of a beast 
And that's just where it starts. And as we move closer and closer to the flood, you will see that from Cain's offering being rejected and Abel's offering being accepted, animal fat versus vegetable or seeds, it's all over the garden area. But somehow these doctrines of demons have infiltrated the minds of many uh, supposed believers to adopt vegetables only. They're typically very weak people. And we have to love on them and accept them as such. Paul's response to the Puritans, and believe it or not, I'm going to call Satan a Puritan, a purist. I think when we get to meet this Antichrist, which we'll probably get raptured out before, but we'll get a glimpse of him either way. I think this is what we're going to find. I think we're going to find this Antichrist walking around eating pure foods. (coughs) He'll turn down a Coke and he'll actually take a natural drink. We're going to see that he is a purist because purity is a very, very attractive arena. It's very attractive. People are drawn to purity. He's going to present himself as a purist. And Paul addressed these purist thinkers even back in his time. So from verse 4, he says, For everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving. So what Satan has done in his demonic doctrines is put the statement of judgment In our opening passage today, it was clear that those who eat vegetable alone are weak. But we're not to judge them. For they too are under the love of God. They too are being approached by God. They too are being transformed by God. But see, God's not making a real big issue about it. Because until that conviction is implanted in their soul, if you tried to get them to stop to do certain things like parents do with their kids... You're teaching them to sin. Now Paul draws out the sweeping implication of God creating food and sex. Those are the two that we've been talking about in these demonic doctrines. The implication is that they are good. Everything created by God is good. And it needs to be received, not rejected. With a thankful heart. So it is the teaching of demons to imply that physical or material reality in its created core is defective. That's the sin. Please pray that you catch that. And because of this, Paul says in verse 4 that nothing is to be rejected. So here is our premise of demonic doctrines. To reject things. People, we just were told in our scripture not to reject these weak people. Accept them. Don't reject them. Accept them. The principle works in relationships as well as in foods and material things. Yes, honey, we need to have that goat's pudding. The odd thing is, is my daughter got deathly sick that night and she didn't even taste the goat pudding. You see, our minds get all twisted up. And we try to calculate the consequences that don't even exist. So the fear causes us to reject things. That God himself says, you can play with scorpions and not get stung, and if you do get stung, you won't die. Is there a verse on that? (laughs) Yeah. 
There's a verse on, you can drink poison and not die. But if you turn it into a law and a requirement of a religion, it's going to become demonic. You see, Satan's got this all twisted up for us. We can't discern it out anymore. God has the power to override physical realities. <coughs> Do you remember when Jesus was on one side of the seashore and the next moment he was in the boat out in the middle of the Sea of Galilee? You think physical doors are going to block Jesus Christ from getting out of a, out of a building? Well, do you think a door is going to stop a demon from getting out or getting in? Are you kidding? If we did a microscopic zoom in on that wall, what are we going to discover? I mean, we're talking about really zooming in here. We're into molecules. It's breathing. Those molecules are not solid. The chair you're in, if you're able to zoom in to the molecules that are supposedly holding that chair together, they're not. God said, for Jesus Christ holds all things together. Even the chair you're sitting on is under the mandate of submitting to the order of God. Of molecules, but so obedient, stay so close together that it gives the appearance of a solid material substance when in reality, it's not. Your human body is the same way. That's why Jesus was able to go from the shore to the boat. He was above material things. The reason why you don't see demons is because they're in the real world. Do you understand what I'm saying? They're in the real world. What is created around you is material temperance to protect you from seeing this evil world. So you think walls protect you and security systems protect you. You think it's a protection for you and in reality, they're not. Any demon can come through that wall. There's no solid substance to that wall. And a scientist knows I'm telling you the truth. But that's not how we think. We put these physical material things around us thinking they're going to protect us. And you have no idea how vulnerable you really are. You want to know why you're going to be, there's going to be a pile of ashes sitting in your chair when you get raptured? From dust you came, from ashes you go? That's literal, folks. There's going to be a pile of ashes in that chair because God made the decision to remove the structural molecule that holds your body together He's going to reverse that order and you're going to turn to a pile of ashes instant. And your spirit and your soul that represents the true reality of God will be gone. Then he's going to do that to the entire world. He's going to return it to ashes. Why? Because of a spoken word when he says to those molecules, no longer, I want you to hold this together. When he said, for he holds all things together, it wasn't a joke. And true scientists know what I'm telling you is the truth. Something's holding the universe together. Something's holding the solar system together. Something's holding that chair together. Because our science has already proved it's just, you can pass your hand through it if you didn't have the same molecules. They've got that figured out. So what they're doing is they're inventing a machine to take those molecules to put
put them in a looser state and put it back together again. Did you ever see that on Star Trek? Beam me up, Scotty. There's actually a machine doing that. They're just having a hard time putting the molecules back together. They've got it figured out. I'm not telling you something out of a science fiction book. This is real science. Material world is critical, and Satan starts with food. Here we have it. Everything created by him, or everything created by God is good. Nothing is to be rejected. If it's received with thanksgiving, the divine goodness of food does not make eating food good. I mean, God created it. That's not what makes it good. What makes eating good food good, or at least one essential part of what makes it good, is that thankful heart. So those of you who feel guilty eating a donut, try this. Hold the donut up into the sky. Look past the donut into the heavens. And say, Thank you, God, for this donut. I receive it, thankfully, in Jesus' name. Amen. And then eat the donut. That's what he's saying. What if we went to a country that the whole country, the only thing they were getting from the rest of the country with donations of food because they have no ability to grow food, they have no ability to, tr to raise up animals, they have no ability of any of that, they're living in a desolate country, and the only foods that we sent them was junk food. You know, little Debbies, big Debbies, middle Debbies, I don't care what you call them, we just send them our junk. Don't eat those junk food things, little children. Starve to death. Die before you eat it. No, that's not what God's going to say. He's going to tell them to be thankful. You know, I've been in ministry my entire adult life. And I know I'm going to get a couple chuckles from those who have been in ministry for more than 10 years or 20 years. But here's a phenomenon a lot of us discover in ministry. And unless you've been in ministry for an extended period of time, you're going to find out that what I'm saying is true. But if you have not, you're not going to have a clue what I'm about to say. But for some reason, pastors and teachers of the Word of God, who are considered a higher level of importance to the message of the gospel for the Lord... Much is given, much is required. They always get the leftovers from people's plates. Here, I got this beat up car that doesn't work anymore. Would the ministry like it? Hey, I had a bunch of extra cans of, of, of peas or beans, and w would you like it? You see, instead of the pastors and teachers getting the fruits to keep them going, to sustain the ministry or their human bodies or whatever to advance the gospel, there is a nasty habit in America to give people our leftovers who are considered the significant teachers for the Word of God. Now some are taking advantage of that, are they not, Shannon? They're flying around in Lear jets and have four or five mansions splattered around the globe somewhere. That's not what I'm talking about. We tend to give our leftovers 
to the Lord. Because when you are dealing with a leader, you're dealing with a representative of the Lord. And that's the same thing God is trying to address with people in tithing. Why, why are you paying your bills and doing all this stuff and then, and then if I have some money left over, I'll, I'll, I'll tithe? No, the first fruit belongs to God. But that is not how we're used to functioning. It is a demonic doctrine to give your pastor, your teacher, your church, or anyone else who's representing God the scraps from your table. It's insulting. Keep them. We are called by God to manage the first fruit of God. That's what we're called to do. To be stewards of the first fruit of God. Because I haven't seen God walk around here physically yet. I haven't seen Jesus walking around here physically yet. He uses the leaders of our church to steward these first fruits. Not the second, not the third, or not the scraps. Satan goes, that I can use. And he's got that doctrine built in and twisted in there to such a level that people in the church give the church their garage sale stuff. And they don't even realize that's, that's what they're giving to God. Our whole perspective of God and giving and living has got to be reformed by the Holy Spirit. Thus, whether a donut or a walnut, if eaten with a thankful heart, the act of the eating becomes worship, and worship, if I remember correctly, is good. Now, if that walnut was raised by an organic tree, so you non-organic people need to know this, if you eat a non-organic walnut, you're going to go to hell. Because that's how a lot of organic nuts, pun intended, treat people who eat walnuts from a non-organic walnut tree. That's how far it's getting. And it's ridiculous. When you spend more time teaching on the physical elements of health versus the health of spirituality, you're already lost. This flows from a healthy spiritual mindset. Walnut, organic, Walnut, non-organic. Well, how do I know that tree's really organic? It's rooted in a earth that's cursed. I don't know what to do, Lord. It's like standing in front of your closet praying, what color shirt should I wear for an hour? Eat the walnut. Just eat the walnut so we can get about our mission today. People who are paralyzed by foodobics, they're just stuck. What do I wear? Should I eat that lettuce or not eat that lettuce? Because the lettuce might have chemicals on it. I, should I eat the? And they're just so caught. And Jesus is being left in the dust, just like scraps off someone's plate. And in the end, at the end of the day, you vegetarians are weak people. And if you want to send me an email, that's drfinney at iomamerica.org or a text is 602-292-2982 because I'd be interested in dialoguing with you and I'm going to challenge you to prove to me the scriptures we read in Romans are demonic. If you do not agree with what the scriptures said about those who eat vegetables alone are weak people. That means you're going to try to convince me and others 
that your belief system is more righteous and stronger. And the truth being said, you're calling God a liar. Because he just told you you're weak. But there's no judgment coming from me. I am addressing a demonic doctrine. I am addressing the enemy here and the lies that he has built into the church. I'm not addressing you. I love you. But I hate your demonic doctrines. So in your waking hours, you're always seeing and hearing, smelling, tasting, touching some parts of creation that is giving you some pleasure or pain or something in between the two. And therefore the question is how this becomes a part of your continual worship with God every single day, whether it is a donut or whether it is just a material object. Like you got a beat up car that got passed down to you from someone's scraps. Oh well, so thank you Lord. That is what we're being asked to do. Food was created by God in order that God might be thanked. Hence, eating is not worship, but it's the act of thanksgiving in the eating that actually becomes worship. Here's the big problem. There are those who don't know the difference between believing and knowing. This is critical, guys. Be thinking. There's a huge difference between these two. So the most obvious thing is to see today is that part of what makes eating worship is the acts that are not in and of themselves of the eating. But there are times when some people will eat things and go, there's a lot of Jesus in what I'm eating here. And they're kind of joking. But at the same time, they're kind of telling the truth. Which is cute, and it kind of works, because God is in all things. But if that swings a little too far, you'll have the demonic doctrine. For I am what I eat. If I eat healthy food, I'm getting Jesus. Boy, you're right at the core of the way Satan thinks. It moves on. Believing is believing in God and His Son, Jesus Christ. Knowing dismisses the full truth, and thus ultimately, it dismisses God. You can know a lot of things. And a lot of things can really make sense when it comes to this demonic doctrine on abstaining from foods. You can build an entire culture and a country around this demonic doctrine. But believing is a different deal. If these universalists truly believed in abstaining from foods and all of the stuff that comes with it, I would find that consistent throughout all seven areas of their life. But I don't. Typically, they're hypocrites, and hypocrites are liars. It doesn't work. It doesn't sustain them. It doesn't sustain their environment. If this whole environmental thing, which has been very popular, and we have spent billions and trillions of dollars in developing it worldwide, if it worked, I would think there'd be few traces of the earth getting healthier. I would see a few traces of it actually changing the world. But it's getting worse. It's proven. Our climate control is getting worse. Our deterioration in material things is getting worse and so forth and so on. Well, we just move that understanding into foods and you'll begin to get the picture. So vegetable only is deficiency. It literally can affect the brain, as we know. Animal fats, proteins, blah, 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 is all part of sustaining the brain and so forth. So, I mean, there's a whole message just in 
why they are actually weak people and they typically are emotionally very weak because they are not healthy in their brains. And so to Satan, to get control externally of the brain, he has to make sure that brain starts to break down. So why Satan promotes the end times demonic doctrine, the intent uh, of this selective approval is to point to the sacrifice of Jesus. The whole pastoral system was set up reflecting the blood sacrifice of Jesus, reflecting the structure of the foods that were meant to be taken and eaten. The process of vegetarianism calls into question the accuracy and wisdom of the process of salvation and the entire system of the temple sacrifice and punishment set up by God. Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. And they will use that verse on you. Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. See, they don't understand something. This temple is going to burn. This is a temporary weak housing point in which the Holy Spirit lives in. It's going to return to ashes after he is done with it. There's nothing to sustain or to restore it back to its original condition. But somehow they're able to prove that if you eat certain things and don't eat certain things, you will get your body restored to its original condition. You see, Satan has all these little demonic doctrines twisted up in this because it directly reflects the message of salvation in the temple. And boy, has he got this one down. What it effectively says to God is this, you got it wrong. You're cruel. The requirement of your blood sacrifice is unnecessary. Or deny that it is necessary to eat meat or that it is even good for us to eat meat. In other words, you got the whole structure wrong and we cannot reach the perfection of the plan of salvation following your rules. You know, if you take this a little bit deeper, when Jesus made the term, frying the bread of life, eat this, drink this, my blood. You see, the doctrinal things that are going on here have to do with blood, meats, eating the body of Christ. And it's all twisted up now. So therefore, true vegetarians or vegans or those who eat vegetables alone are dismissing the most powerful doctrines that God has given to us through Christ Jesus. For I am the bread of life. I am the sacrifice. I am the final sacrifice. Eat of me. Drink of me. You see, it's removing very subtle, covert things that we don't hear spoken of every day, but I can guarantee you Satan knows about those doctrines. His goal is always to diminish or to remove the message of <coughs> salvation. So the question of ability to eat all kinds of meats from the Bible text is clear. Acts 10 and chapter 11 show the cleansing of the Gentiles for acceptance into the kingdom of God. The text has nothing to do with food as it is plainly evident in Acts 11. It is quite clear that the vision given to Peter cleansed the Gentiles, not the food. And that's the whole point. The addressing is never about foods, it's about changing that person's life. 
So Romans 14 does not specifically refer to the weaknesses of vegetarianism. The Bible labels vegetarianism specifically as a demonic doctrine. So what this text is actually addressing is the weak people, not the vegetarian issue. Here's our identity matter statement for today. Thus, vegetarianism is seen as weakness in the question of selection of food involving meats with a pagan system. That's why it's a demonic doctrine. It's related to the pagans. And pagans were Satan worshipers, which is not something you hear spoken of very much. Paganism is still around us every day. It is, on the other hand, a clear doctrine of demons when it is preached as abstinence for purity or biblical reasons. They somehow try to connect God's doctrines to this. The assertion that God did not institute the process of meat consumption from the beginning and continue that process over through the flood is a biblical error and heresy if you read Genesis chapter 7, particularly verse 2. The assertion that God would institute an unhealthy system is again an accusation against his nature, which is now our nature. If you are suffering from this demonic doctrine, don't study about it. Embrace the message of truth first, and then let God reform, renew, transform your mind to be reconnected to God's addressing us as people, not the issue of vegetables or meats. And if you cannot say, I am thankful for all things, for meats, for fat, for junk food, for healthy food, for organic food, non-organic food, whatever, that becomes the real issue. Worship is in thanksgiving, not as an act of something you're supposed to do. I know there's some listeners today that are wanting to ask Jesus Christ into their life. If you did not open up the PDF in listening to this audio, I would probably do that right now. There's a salvation prayer at the end of those slides, and I would encourage you to read over those words to see if it's something that's bringing conviction to you. And if you are led by the Holy Spirit to pray this prayer, I would encourage you to do so. And again, I want to remind you that next week we are starting our new series called True Grace to You. And this will be a series that theologically brings balance to the true biblical definitions of Hebrew and Greek in understanding the power, act, and life of grace. This resource has been presented by the Counseling and Conference Services of IOM America. For more information about our ministries, visit us online at IOMAmerica.org. That's IOMAmerica.org.